Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 169. We're joining you every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore on Twitter, filling in for my normal co-host, John White, at VJourneyman. We are both pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at NerdJourney. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey to career enlightenment. So let's take a trip. This week, we're back with part two of our interview with Mike Wood. If you missed last week in episode 168, definitely go back and give it a listen. We followed Mike through his early experience in law enforcement, through the hard decisions he had to make as an early 20-something, and how it turned out to not be the right thing for him. We followed him through his experience as a software consultant for a small firm and then a much larger firm. And toward the end of that episode, we talked about how the firm he really liked was acquired. So as you can imagine... It creates a challenging situation once the culture you really enjoyed is transformed by a company that acquires it with a very different culture. In this case, a very different travel culture. This week in part two of our interview with Mike, he's going to tell us about taking some time away. This sounds very familiar because it is somewhat similar to what Andrew Miller told us about in episode 167, Pausing and Stepping Outside. For Mike, this was a period of six months in which he took some time to get ready for his next endeavor. Mike's going to share with us some reasons why it made sense for him to take a sabbatical for such a period, and he's going to share with us not only how he planned to do it from a financial perspective and speaking with his family, but he also set some goals for what he wanted to do during that time period. I think those are really important aspects to pay attention to during this interview. And even though you may not be able to take a sabbatical at any point in your career due to financial implications and such, I think the thought process that Mike goes through in this interview is helpful to all of us when trying to decide what's next. So listen carefully as we share part two and the conclusion of our interview with Mike Wood. In your case, Mike, speaking of focusing on what you can control, uh, through one of those acquisitions actually prompted you to take a little time off. Yes, specifically uh, the most recent acquisition I was in. So I was working for a company called Century One, and they made uh, database monitoring software specifically around SQL Server. And they were acquired by SolarWinds, uh, again, a much larger company, right? There was a lot of, okay, where's this going? And this occurred pandemic had started, right? So 2020, 2021, I guess we were acquired October 2021. So we were already in a fairly stressful time. Uh, Century One had had to furlough some folks. Uh, so that was obviously stressful. Again, this Century One was not a big company. Um, and so to furlough anybody was, you knew everybody, right? So even if it was somebody in marketing and not in, in engineering, we knew who they were. That's tough on a company. But then we went through, we, the acquisition started to occur. You have all the questions, just like we've been talking about, what's going to happen? Um, our systems, are, are they just going to absorb the systems? We were absolutely told that, you know, we're coming in, everybody in engineering, we really want the talent, right, because we're buying you because you have technology and IP that we're trying to incorporate into our stuff, right? So we, we need that knowledge base. Um, so I didn't have a concern that I would lose my position or use, lose my job. It was more along the lines of, well, what am I going to do there, right? Because at Century One at the time, I was the uh, site reliability engineering manager, right? So I had a small team, and it had gotten a little smaller right before the acquisition uh, because of furloughs and whatnot. And then the acquisition occurred, and it got a little smaller, right? Because anytime there's acquisition, there is turnover, right? That started to get pretty stressful uh, because, again, it was it was not clear what I would be doing long-term for them. 
Uh, the pandemic at that point had been going on for over a year and things just kind of started to pile up and I was like, I need to take more time off than what I would be able to take, right? In the end, I think I just came to the conclusion of I, I needed time off and I'm not sure this is really where I wanted to come back to, right? And again, thinking back, I realized that this is not the company I would have applied to, right? Uh, I wouldn't have applied to work there. I looked at it from the standpoint of, I'd like to take some time off, way more time than I have vacation, and I wanna take it kind of now. It wasn't something that I just sprang and said, I'm gonna you know, take off. There was a lot of conversation and thought that had to go into it. That sounds like a, a family discussion, am I right? Oh yeah, it absolutely was. Um, our, our, at the time, this was early, no, early 2021, mm -hmm. about a year ago. During the pandemic, our, uh, my wife and I's way of just dealing with things is we started walking, right? So we started walking around the neighborhood. She would come home from work. Uh, I, when I wrapped up, we would go out and walk the neighborhood and we started having these conversations. My wife is a teacher and she was working in uh, what's called a, a non-continuing contract. So every year she effectively, quote unquote, gets a pink slip, right? But they're like, if we have the funding and whatnot, we'll, we'll bring you back. Uh, but in some cases, that doesn't turn out, right? And so she didn't know if she would have a job uh, the following fall. I was at the point where it's like, I need to get out of what I'm doing now. So what do we have going on? Like, you know, is this even possible? Uh, so you're right. I mean, it was absolutely a family conversation that took place over many walks <laughs> in the evenings. We are blessed right, to have made some really good financial decisions. And I wasn't a company that believed, Century One believed in making its employees a partner in, uh, in the company, right? So we, we got a little bit of money in the acquisition. Like everybody that had worked there for, for years had gotten a little bit of money. I mean, it's not like I could, you know, have gone off and bought a Tesla with any of it or anything like that. But it, I mean, it was, uh, it was nice, right? It was helpful we had been saving because we wanted to do a project at the house, right? We wanted to make a, a change to our back deck. And so we had saved up a decent amount of money and we looked at that and said, okay, if we don't change how we are currently living, like, you know, we don't change any of the subscriptions we have, or, you know, we don't do something like, you know, no, no eating out, right. <laughs> or, or anything like that. We just keep doing what we're doing. How long could we, sustain that, right, without additional income. And then we looked at that and said, all right, well, it was this many months. Let's look at what it would look like for me to take a sabbatical, a personal sabbatical. I called it my personal sabbatical because I was personally footing the bill for it. But how long could I take off, right? That, you know, what was the max amount that I could take off that we would be comfortable with? And then I backed it up from there. So the original plan was for me to take a, a month off and do no job searching, no discussion about job searching, which means that it's more than two months that you're going to be off, right? Because you're not going to, you know, day one, oh yeah, you got a job. <laughs> the original plan was for me to take a full month off with nothing around job search. Then another month start, you know, at the beginning, at the end of that month, start looking for what's next uh, with the goal within three months to have a job, right? And it turned into six, unfortunately. <laughs> but that's because I had very specific things I was looking for, and I knew that I could make a little money on the side if I needed to um, with some side consulting or some side gigs and things like that if, if I needed to keep that going. And my wife ended up with a, a, another job, right? So she got a new contract. This time it's um, a, a continuing contract, which is awesome. So that helped as, as well because that just, I mean, that paid the bills, right? Uh, and so then it just became, all right, what do I really want to do, right? It, it, it wasn't a rush. Okay, so you said one month, not going to job search. I'm curious as to how you spent your time during that chunk. You know, did you decide to learn something new? Did you focus on exercise? Did you spend more time with your family? Curious to, to hear about how you decide to spend your time when you're sort of unoccupied by design. So I, I wrote down before I took it, right, as we were having these discussions, I started writing down things like what would I do? I, it was a mix of things, right? I 
did renew a certification that I had and then took tests to get two more certifications during that time. Uh, not during the first month. I renewed the one in the first month and then the others just kind of came later. I did spend more time with my family, but I've, I've worked from home for the last eight years, right? So, I, I and I love that. So more time with the family was more of, as soon as my son was home, we could do something and rather than an hour and a half later. It was during the summer, so again, or a large portion of it was during the summer, so again, my wife is a teacher, right? So we were basically all off at that time, right? And so we took, we it was pandemic, right? So we didn't take a lot of trips, but we did make it to a small cabin for a weekend, um, and we went up to Columbus at one point for a little bit. So we did a little bit of traveling, very small amount of travel. I had a whole list of things, like, <laughs> A whole list of things around the house that needed to be done that, you know, was always like, oh, yeah, I'm sure I'll get to that sometime, like fixing the front door or or that kind of thing. One of my hobbies is uh, amateur radio. Um, so, and one of the things I like doing with that is what's called um, Parks on the Air. And it's a program where you take your radio or a group of people called activators will take their radio and go to a local park. And then there are people called chasers that are all over the world that are basically just trying to get parks on the air contacts. And you get points if you're a chaser and you get points if you're a, uh, an activator. And so I've, one day I was like, I'm going to go try to hit as many parks as I can. And I organized and planned out to go uh, up north a little bit into Ohio and hit a couple of parks there. And it's, it turns into this, you know, show up, try to set up your antenna and everything as fast as you can, make 10 contacts or more, collapse it all, then drive on to the next one, right? So that was fun. That was one of the things I did. And I ended up, that was the only time I went out and purposely uh, hit multiple parks. But throughout the sabbatical, I would go out and, um, and do some radio. I did play a lot of video games, I'll have to admit. But at the same time, I, I spent a decent amount of time also thinking about what was next. Like after that first month was gone, then it was, all right, where do I want to work? What kind of company do I want to work for? Do I want to continue in site reliability, right? Because that's what I had done most recently. And unfortunately, I saw this, and then a friend of mine also saw this who had, uh, who had left Century One, that if you want to change what you do and you put on LinkedIn that you're, you know, you're now looking for jobs or if recruiters contact you, it seems like you're pigeonholed into whatever the most recent thing you did was, right? And so you can go out and say, I, you know, well, I've been a developer for 15 years and I was a you know, site reliability engineering manager for like two. And then you'll get questions like, well, are you really a developer? I was like, I, I did it for 15 years, <laughs> right? You know, I'm sure there's absolutely new things that I need to learn, but, you know. I... Are you proficient in Golang? <laughs> Yes, those kinds of things, right? The oh, I did spend a lot of time trying to think through what I wanted to do, and that was that that time was extremely helpful, and I got to spend a lot of time having conversations with folks about what they did. One of the things that really was helpful, because I had a target of, I, you know, at this point in my career, now might be a good time to look to go work at Microsoft, and I and I had tried previously, right? Uh, there's a lot of people you'll talk to that'll be like, yeah, I, I interviewed eight times, nine times, whatever, to get on at Microsoft. And that's a true thing, right? I mean, there's a lot of people that want to get on at Microsoft, a lot of very smart people. So competition is, is a thing. I interviewed over the years multiple times, and it just it didn't work out. But, you know, that's the way it works. Uh, I learned something every time. Uh, I had somebody a long time ago say, you need to interview at Microsoft. I'm like, I don't, I don't want to leave my job, right? I was working at GA Sullivan at the time, and, and their comment was, it doesn't matter, right? I'm not saying you have to leave, just interview. Just go and have that experience and know what that experience is like to interview at a large company. And I so wish I would have done that because I would have learned all the lessons that I ended up learning um, last year when I was trying to go through these big interviews, even though I had 20 plus years experience, the interviews that I, that I had done in the past were very different, right? Um, different small companies, um, I, I had interviews where it really wasn't an interview. It was, I've worked with you in the past, I know you, come on in. And I've had uh, you know, interviews that, especially early in my career, that were very, very technical. But I was also at the time studying for the tests for the certifications and that kind of stuff, and so that made it easier. 
but interviewing for a larger company, especially a company like Microsoft or Google or, or whoever, they, they have their own ways of going through the process. Uh, you've got to learn that. You've got to learn what each uh, of the interviewers is actually looking for. But one of the things that I, uh, I took to heart that somebody had told me was get informationals. And this is a, a phrase that's used in, in Microsoft. If you have an informational, it's not an interview, right? But you're talking to a hiring manager or you're talking to somebody at, at Microsoft about what their group does or about what their unit um, is all about or what a particular job is. But it's not an interview. They'll call it an informational. At Google, we call it a, a champion call. A champion call? Okay. Yeah. And, you know, during these calls, you're, you're talking about what the job position is actually like or what it's like to work there. And at least the ones I found is most of them kind of led to, okay, well, this may not be a good fit for me, but having talked to that hiring manager, they would also be asking questions like, well, what do you want to do? What kind of things are you into? And what have you done in the past? And, and at the end of the call, most of the time I got to, you know what, you really need to talk to so-and-so. Let me try to make that connection for you. I ended up finding out about a lot of the different roles I ended up interviewing for, not because I was looking on the career site, but because I found people to have informationals with. This almost sounds like a career office hours type thing, like Louise Bunyan was telling us about, John. I know VMware does something where they have a, I've forgotten the name, I'll have to go back and look, but uh, where they give you some insight into, here's a hiring manager for this, and here's the path, and ask a bunch of questions. Although I love the aspect of they connected you with other people in the company that they knew you needed to talk to because they could spot that you had potential, maybe just not in what they wanted. And they matched it with what you wanted, which I, I love the fact that, that that was a goal of, of management, you know, leaders wanting to match up people with what they want to do. It speaks volumes to me about how they value the person. So back to what I said a long time ago about valuing the person. It, uh, in my experience, if you have companies that recognize this is what this person is good at and they love doing it, so let's get them into that role, then they're going to be more engaged in the company. They're going to put more into their job, right, because it's what they want to be doing and they're passionate about it. When I was at Century One, when I first came on, I was a, uh, a product manager. I was hired as a product manager, and I did that for about two years, and I reached a point where I'm like, I don't feel like I'm technical anymore, and that bothered me a little bit. Um, and then there were some aspects of the roles, like I really wish I could do something a little different. I started talking to my manager about it. Um, he was super supportive, and we kept going back and forth, and it almost got to the point where I was like, you know what, I, there's, there's not going to be a path for me here, and I may have to look elsewhere. Um, and to the credit of the folks there at Century One at the time, they were completely supportive of even that, right? So I had conversations like, if you decide to leave, let me know. I know these people that we can connect you with. But then I got to talking to my manager, and he's like, you know, there's this cloud thing coming that we want to do. I know it's down the line a little bit, but we, we, we know we want to do it. And you have experience in Azure, right? Because uh, I used to be, uh, one of the jobs I had was consulting around Azure and being an Azure architect. So what would you think if we had something here that was around that? And I was like, well, okay, let's talk about that. And that, so that role, they knew they were going to have it. it. They kind of advanced it a little bit. Um, and that's, uh, I ended up being what they called the, the lead cloud engineer, which was funny because it was just me uh, for a little while. Well, that makes you the lead. Yes. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> you're leading um, the charge is what you're leading. Yes. There you go. That's a great way to look at it. And, and that ultimately was, turned into, I think, a really good position for me because that grew into the site reliability engineering manager role, uh, et cetera. And we basically, my team and I got to build up the, the software as a service offering there at, uh, at Century One, or at least all the infrastructure around it, all the processes around it, all how we would handle outages and find root cause analysis and then scheduling uh, <laughs> scheduling on call time and all that stuff. We built all that stuff from, from scratch. So that was a great learning opportunity for me. And I, to your point, they realized if we put him in this position, right, he'll be passionate about what he does, he's got some knowledge, and we can grow that. 
and it'll work out well. And I, I felt like it did. Having companies that will recognize that and not just be, well, we need somebody here, so we'll just grab this person and say, you need to go here and do this thing. I think if you have that mindset that people are cogs and you can replace them, then you shouldn't be shocked when you have to replace them all. It's interesting because I think there's probably a time and a place to work as one of those cogs. Like maybe you can learn a lot being mm -hmm. a cog and maybe you can travel a lot being a cog and maybe you can work on a lot of different types of projects being a cog, yep. you know, because you are one of these interchangeable pieces and, you know, maybe they're, like I said, maybe that can fit your lifestyle, yeah. um, but it doesn't fit everybody's lifestyle. And I think it is, you know, one of the things that in our careers, that we need to figure out, you know, do, like what the, the company that I'm working for, is it okay for them to treat me like a cog or do they, does that company need to be very interested in my self-actualization? Like the self-actualization of not just me, but like all my, you know, peers and everybody at the org in the organization. Right. So that, that is interesting. And I think that again, different points of time, different, you know, mindsets, different personalities, like, you know, sometimes you, that might not be what you want, you know, or that, you know, getting experience as a cog in a machine, like will give you just tons of exposure to yep. like lots of exciting things. Yep. And, and that's exactly what you're looking for. And that's fine too. To that point, I think there's a lot of time so somebody I, I have a, a tremendous amount of respect for early in my, uh, well, even now, but I have a tremendous amount of respect for him uh, in how he shared his own career and how he progressed through that career. His name is Brian Prince, and he was a developer evangelist when I first met him and worked for Microsoft for quite a, uh, quite a while. Um, he no longer works for Microsoft now. He's in uh, financial services uh, in Columbus now. But he said that every year, right around Christmas time, he would take a day off and think through, am I recommitting to the place that I'm at, right? Whether it was at Microsoft or somewhere else for another year, right? Am I recommitting? Am I, am, is, uh, are all the things that I'm looking for being met? Am I excited about what I'm doing, et cetera? Or to your point, John, do I need something else, right? Am I getting what, at this stage of my career, am I getting what I want out of this, right? He tells it a lot better because I think the way he phrased it is, to my wife, it looked like I was playing video games the entire day. But what you know, what I was reality doing was <laughs> thinking through these things. That's what I'm going to tell my wife. I'm going <laughs> to now. I'm now he really has the really ammo. Thinking. Yeah, he would think through these things, and he he gave a really great presentation about a whole bunch of career advice, and I took a lot of it to heart. But I I don't do it every year, but I I do periodically spend time thinking about these things of. Is this something I want to continue to be doing? And to your point, Nick, during the sabbatical, that came into focus heavily, right? Spending a lot of time thinking about, well, what is my next step in my career? What do I want it to look like? Um, and you start writing down a list of, I, w I would like to do this much travel, right? Um, I need to make at least this much money, right? Um, and there's a minimum to that. There really is. In the software industry, I feel like the majority of us are blessed with decent wages, right? Or even better than decent wages compared to a lot of people. And depending on where you're at, I am, off, I am out in the Midwest, right? So salaries that people make out on the West Coast uh, or in you know, New York or whatnot to me seem huge. But I also live in a house that costs a fraction of somebody's little 700 foot square foot apartment, right? There's $7 million uh, 3,000 foot square house, square foot yeah. house. <laughs> Exactly. So when you look at it from that standpoint, I mean, I, I feel like we're blessed that we, we, we do well for ourselves, right? We really do compared to a lot of folks. And so to some degree, I think it comes down to, are you happy with what you're doing? And what do you really want to get out of this? And what do you want to share? Is there some part you want to give back, et cetera? And you've got to weave that in. And to my point of, of there being a minimum, like there really is a minimum, but I found that there's a lot of leeway at that point of, am I having a fulfilling job? Am I having uh, a fulfilling life and still making what I need to make? And I'm willing to give up some aspects of pay for certain aspects of things that I want. And the ping pong tables, you're, you're willing to give those up for something? Oh, yeah, absolutely. 
I, I stick it help to his ball and pink ball anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was wondering, or or maybe let me phrase it this way. It seems like it's easier to gain clarity on the things that you might want once you've removed yourself from the daily grind of the job that you were doing. Like, that's what it seems like to me. Was it easier to do because you were on sabbatical and maybe you hadn't thought as deeply about it before? Or was this just a byproduct of, I was kind of already thinking about this and this crystallized it? I think that's hard to say. I mean, at that point, I had been in, in my career like 20 plus years, right? So there were some mm-hmm. that were already very clear, right? I had a minimum or a maximum, I should say, a maximum travel amount that I'm willing to do. Anything over that is just not worth it to me, right? Um, that's too much time away from my family. Uh, I'm a, an assistant scoutmaster for a local troop, right? So if I'm gone a lot, that puts a strain on being able to get folks that will come in and volunteer for the campouts and those kinds of things. So there's commitments that I have made outside of work, right, that will restrict how much travel I can do. And so that's a big one that I already knew, right? Um, I wanted to work someplace where I got to be hands-on technical in some aspects, right? So there was a lot that was crystallized for me or very clear to me already just because I had the experience. But to get there, I really do have to look back at all the places that I've worked in the past and say, yeah, this worked out for me and this did not. You just kind of adjust over time. Now, once I was out uh, and on sabbatical, it's interesting because I, a friend of my wife's had made the comment that, well, it's always easier to find a job when you have a job, right? So they were completely freaked out by this whole idea that I just left a job and that I did not have a job. And for some people, that would be, I completely understand that would be like not possible, right? You can't, you can't do that. Like I said, we were blessed to, to make uh, some good financial decisions in the past and have some, uh, some money set aside that we would be able to do this to begin with. But even with that, without that, well, I should also point out that I had an extremely supportive wife throughout this whole process, right? But if I look at the idea that, some, that I just step out <laughs> and have no job at all, and then to your point, Nick, you know, does it just become clear, well, these are the things that I want? No, I don't think it worked out that way. Um, I think it was just a buildup of all the things I had known in the past and just allowed me to then really focus on these are the things I want to get out of it, right? Um, and then having those informationals with folks at Microsoft helped me drive down to the right org. And then some of the reasons that the sabbatical turned into a six-month thing was, you know, Microsoft has thousands of jobs if you go search on the career, right? But if you if you get down to, well, I want to be in this org or that org, then that number dwindles quite a bit, right? Um, and then you have to wait for the job posting to come up, and then you put in, and then you have to wait the period of time to, for all the candidates to have put in, right? And so the, the cycle can be very long if you get into a scenario that it's, you know, I only want to work with this one group, and I only want this one job, then that could be four to six months just waiting for it to open, right? You're a sniper, right? You're like yep. a like you're a precision target shooter. Not you're not sh- shooting uh, skeet with shotguns, yep. right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So that that's fascinating. I, I hadn't even really thought through that that process of you know if you're really getting narrow, then you're really limiting the pool down. I, I guess maybe going back to that, you know the the best time to search for a job is is when you have a job is like i mean if you really think about it the best time to get recruited for a better job than you have now yes is when you have a job that you're happy with but that's very different from the best time to look for a job is to is when you have a job i think that's yeah yeah two different things you know that i will have to admit that having taken a sabbatical and trying to find a job during that right they know you're not working, right? Because you, you're not going to lie when they say, well, where are you working now? Well, you know, <laughs> not. You know, you've got to be cautious with that because that will affect your negotiations on, on, on many fronts, right? If you, to your point, John, if you have a job and you really enjoy it, it's, it and it's paying the bills and you're getting what you need out of it, it's, it's really easy to go, nope, you know, I'm good. <laughs> thanks, thanks for asking. Um, but when you don't have a job, you have to be comfortable 
with saying you, you just really don't want to get in the position where you're like, I'll take anything they can give me, right? I really felt like I had a good network uh, built up over the years that if I needed something, even if it was side work, that I could find something to pay the bills um, until I could find something else. And I would, you know, I would have been very upfront with those, whoever that was, to say, look, this is just 1099 work or just some side contract work, uh, maybe short, short contracts until I can find what I'm actually looking for. And I would have been very upfront with it, but I would have, I probably would have been uncomfortable doing that. That would have, that because that I've never wanted to go work off for myself, right? I never wanted to, to be my own boss, uh, mainly because I'm not a good salesperson. Um, and there's a large aspect of just making sure that you're constantly out there doing the marketing and that kind of thing to make sure you have jobs rolling in. And I also didn't want to have to mess with like health insurance stuff and, and all those things, which is, can be a barrier uh, for those of us in the U.S. who you go off to work for yourself. It's like, where, where does your health insurance come from? At that point, you've got to pay for it on your own, and it's not cheap. Well, that's just that's two, two different things. You you said that you know you you aren't a very good salesperson, then you said marketing. Well, that's two different jobs. That's true. Like you, yep. Like you, you know, you can say like, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be in the business of marketing myself, yep. and I don't want to be in the business of doing admin for all yep. of the, uh, for you know, my retirement and uh, benefits and, and all those things. Because you're absolutely right that those things are massive overhead, mm -hmm. and it you know is one of the reasons why if you're doing 1099 work, the hourly rate or the daily rate is much much higher. Than you know for the uh, the full time employee doing the same thing. It's yep. you know it's just a nightmare to do that admin. I, I I think I've never done it, and you know because I always perceive it as being a nightmare. <laughs> there was somebody I met a long time ago. Uh, his name's Michael Eaton, and he was an indie uh, independent contractor when I first met him, and he was doing. Uh, a talk on going indie or being indie, and he talked about all of these things, right? And all these things that you mentioned, John, around uh, having to do the marketing, having to keep up with all the admin stuff, um, and it was just him. And I, I heard that, and he did he did well at it. And I was like, yep, nope, I don't I don't want to have anything to do with that. I want to go back to something you said a minute ago, Mike. The idea of needing to address a gap in employment in your resume mm -hmm. and how to approach that with employers when when you were asked about it i mean i'm guessing it probably came up in the interview with your with your current employer how does one address that i mean were they receptive to the hey i took this sabbatical and that's what i needed to do and i'm curious yeah they were i hate to say this but because of the pandemic right just saying with everything going on i needed some time off almost everybody went yep right? Because they were probably thinking, yeah, I do too, right? I mean, there's a lot going on. It's very stressful. Microsoft spent a lot of time around well-being, right? Once the uh, the pandemic kicked in, they gave well-being days, you know, more days than people had vacation uh, over the, you know, the first year of the pandemic. They did that for sure. Uh, so there was a lot of attention paid to people's mental health. I think everybody I spoke to got it very quickly, uh, and even without having to say that, you know, there was, I was in an acquisition and it, it didn't quite work out. Uh, and so I needed some time off. So I think everybody was kind of open to that. Now, I will probably have a different viewpoint on this maybe if I ever have to interview again, right? I've now got a six-month block that I have to explain. As for the people I was originally talking to, no. I, none of them gave it that much thought. Some of them thought it was interesting, right? Uh, I was like, oh, really? <laughs> Uh, but it, I think it, I was more concerned that it would affect my ability to negotiate, but it, it, I had to make it extremely clear to them that I, this was completely on my own. I decided to do this. I wasn't let go, right? Um, I have plenty of money to sit on if I need to, and I have plenty of other options to look at, right? Which was all true. I wasn't lying about any of that. Um, they're obviously... Sure. You know, there was, like I said, there was money set aside that we could do this with. That I mean, that was finite. <laughs> but I knew at some point, I was like, well, I, I could get some work if I needed it. And I needed to make sure that came across, uh, it, you know, to make sure that it didn't look like I would be, you know, desperate for something down the line. I also kind of feel like, you know, job changes and 
and gaps in employment during the pandemic are not going to be something that anybody bats an eye at, you know. Yeah. I think, you know, if there's a difference between maybe, you know, I had to take like one or two years off to care for like a family member, mm-hmm. you know, which is totally valid yep. as well. And like, oh, I was in the middle of a pandemic and I had to take six months off, you know, to figure out what it was. I realized that what I was doing was not what I wanted to do. Yep. So I left that, you know, job on my own terms, figured out what I wanted to do and who I wanted to work for and went out and got that job. I think that's like, you know, I, I maybe you just have to be ready. You have to have your talk track ready, yep. which is what a salesperson would say, by the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should have some kind of buzzer for buzzwords. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think what I what I really like about hearing the story here, Mike, is that it wasn't just planning for what's next in your career. Like you did some real intelligent, urgent planning of your finances, making sure it was okay with your family. You know, don't if you're listening to this and you're unhappy with your job, don't just quit tomorrow if you don't have anything lined up. <laughs> think, give it a little more thought than uh, turning in your notice today. Absolutely. I think through, I mean, I went through the numbers. Um, we looked at how much our, you know, was we were paying at that time for any one given thing. Um, you know, what was our outlay each month? How much did we have set aside for the, for the deck project? And started, like I said earlier, you know, doing the calculations to determine how many months could we actually do that before we would even have to start cutting oh, well, we're not doing that, right? And, you know, are we going to get down to Raymond noodles every night kind of thing? Because that wasn't the goal. I, I absolutely did not want to get to that point, right? That desperation point where you have to decide if it's going to be Netflix or Amazon Prime Video. Yeah. Where you're like, <laughs> or one of those has to go. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. I was going to say that, you know, if I could count, then if I had a dollar for every person I knew who had a pandemic deck project that got achieved. <laughs> Ours is not achieved, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're you're building up your your deck uh, deck budget again. It, yes, it actually um, right. reminded me of a question that I really meant to ask, which was or an observation, which it, it just seems to mean that I think it's the second time that it's come up in the last few uh, discussions we've had with people that uh, keeping one's finances in order provides for flexibility mm-hmm. because. Even if you're working at a great company, you don't know what might change. Maybe the leadership changes. Maybe there's an acquisition. You know, maybe there's a, you know, giant shift in the vertical industry that that, you know, organization is focused on that, you know, suddenly destabilizes things and maybe you need to look for different things. Um, But if you, if as you become more senior in your, um, in your role, and your uh, your compensation goes up. Um, if you also have lifestyle inflation that like keeps pace with or even exceeds your your increase in salary and compensation, then you are going to have no margin for error. Yep. Right, and it sounds like you set yourself up to have this uh, to have this uh, cushion. You know, you know, call it an emergency fund or a deck fund or a you know, wow, I really, you know, a dream fund, right? Yep. And sometimes the dream has to be, you know, my dream suddenly became, instead of taking like a, a, a four-week cruise, my dream is to take, you know, a, a six-month sabbatical, yep. <laughs> right? And only financial cushion provides you the flexibility to do that. And, yep. you know, even being like, you know, I I don't really like what it is, what's going on here and it doesn't fit me so well, like is like the best case scenario of that because the worst case scenario is having an abusive boss or mm-hmm. abusively long hours or, you know, the company's desperate and just really needs you to, to work 80 hours a week and it's yep. like, you know, and a big chunk of your compensation is equity in the company. So like you really kind of need to do that and you need the company to succeed. Like if you're in that situation, then you don't have that flexibility to walk away. And, um, that is, you know, horrible to kind of, to think about. So that, you know, keeping the finances in order and having that, that cushion is a big part of a career flexibility, I guess. Right. I'm I'm blessed that my wife and I, think of money the same way 
we definitely spent a lot of time building building stuff up. And I I, I wish that because uh, I got married late. I don't want to say late, but later in life than most of the people I knew. And I wish that I had been told early on, like, max out your 401k, do this, do this. So before I was married, um, I don't want to say I was spending more money than I had because that wasn't true. But at the same time, to, to your point, like your lifestyle inflation, right? I, I, I did adjust as I was going and making more money. I got carried away a little bit early on with with credit cards and those kinds of things, and it was just just so happened that uh, a very large project that I was on right before I got married and before I met my wife, we we did work a ton of overtime, and at the time that company paid overtime uh, before it got acquired, and <laughs> so that overtime let me pay everything off, right? Um, and then so it, it went into the marriage without that, um, other than, you know, car at the time, because I was renting. Then I, I really wish somebody had come to me early before that and said, you know what, you really need to be saving for these things, because that would have even set us up even better. But since then, to your point, thinking through how do I save, how do I have that, that rainy day fund, right? Some people will say you need six months worth of money just sitting around that you could pay, right, for any sort of emergency. And I would say talk to a financial advisor, as to you know how best to do that so you can get at it easily, but at the same time, just don't have money just sitting there somewhere. Well, it sounds like six months, having that six-month flexibility was pretty important to you. It was, and absolutely. So, I mean, that it almost sounds like, you know, if you start looking at, you know, day 31 and you have the flexibility to be choosy, then you can, you know, really find something that you're super enthusiastic about, yep. which can make all the difference down the road. That's exciting. Is there a like a a resource that you use to actually like uh, inform yourself of those lessons? You know, the financial stuff later on. Well, we went to when I got married. My wife had some money um, of some or some investments, I should say, at Edward Jones, um, and she's like, "Well, my my grandmother gave me these. I don't I don't know what they are." Um, and we went and just had a conversation with the local Edward Jones agent. And we've been with her ever since. Uh, she's awesome. Um, and so she informed me of, all, of a lot of this. And I, I understood the 401k, and I kind of understood how it worked. And I had been putting money in it, but it was never something I maxed out. Um, I always did exactly what I would get to get the max company uh, match. But you know, other than that, I saw it as, well, you know, I kind of want some of that money. <laughs> To do, to do things, but now you know you're getting now looking back, I wish I would have, had put more in, right? But beyond that, that's that that's the only resources. And one of my new colleagues has done. Um, I came on and and he was sharing some of the stuff that he does uh, with stock that he owns and that kind of stuff. And he's really super into stocks um, and how to leverage those, not just for you know buy sell, but all sorts of options and things like that. Um, and he, he walked through it, and gave me a presentation on it and that kind of stuff. It was all fascinating. He, had, he obviously has a lot more tolerance of risk than I do. I would definitely recommend folks find some sort of resource, whether that's a financial advisor like Edward Jones or H&R Block, somebody, right? If they're in, or spend a lot of time doing the research on their own. Personal Finance for Dummies is like a great great book mm. i i almost think that like you know a book like that or i'm sure the complete idiot's guide to personal finance yeah. those are the two competing titles in that space i'm sure they both are great but i mean i personally happen to have like you know parents who like almost like indoctrinated me into mm. that stuff you know very anti-debt anti-credit card debt you know and uh you know maxing out you know retirement funds and stuff like that but i you know, like that's not everybody like yep. you, if you, you know, you can't kind of like just hope that you happen to have come from a family that like indoctrinates you in that. like, you know, like there's because there's always going to be holes. Yeah. Right. I found those books to be pretty great. And I, I almost think that like, you know, when you graduate high school, you should somebody should hand you that. And those are, you know, it's maybe part of graduating from high school or, you know, turning 18. It's like you can't actually turn 18 until you read this book. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> oh, man. Well, Mike, I, I hope 
you don't mind that we've uh, taken all this time and that we've kind of, you know, laser focused on this, you know, specific type of topic. Would it be okay to invite you back to have another conversation a little bit more about, you know, the other parts of your uh, career journey? Because I feel like we've only really scratched the surface there. And no uh, I'd, I'd love to hear about the, the various, you know, transitions, you know, that... Um, you went through like uh you know after <laughs> one specific uh you know transition of uh of uh consulting and acquisition that we talked about or you know the two you know like kind of like the early acquisition and then the most recent acquisition were the the kind of two transitions that we talked about but i feel like there's a a bunch of other you know parts of your career that would be really fascinating to hear about sure Amazing. Well, thank you very much uh, for your time this evening, and we'll definitely have you back. Thanks. I really appreciate that uh, Nick reached out. Like I said, I hope this is interesting, uh, and yeah. I, I highly recommend great. if if somebody is thinking about a sabbatical is to really take the time to think it through to Nick's point, but I think going into it, don't don't treat it as just a big vacation. Right? You, you kind of have to know out the other end what your goals are. Where can people uh, find you and follow you on uh, social media, if, if that's something that you do? I haven't done as much. They can find me on LinkedIn, of course. I, I don't post much there. Uh, they can find me on Twitter under Mike Wu, M-I-K-E-W-O. Cool. We'll put your links on show notes. Well, Mike Wood, thanks again for being on The Nerd Journey. Thanks a lot for having me. I appreciate it. If someone encouraged you to go interview at a large company just to gain the experience of doing it and to learn something, would you go and do it? I don't know. Especially if I, if you were happy in your job, does it make sense to do it at that time? You may not. In Mike's case, he chose not to go and interview with Microsoft so early in his career. But as we found when he got closer to that sabbatical, he set his sights on Microsoft as somewhere that he wanted to work. I hadn't heard of this concept of the informational that he speaks of, but I really like that idea. Just having a conversation with someone, picking their brain about what they do, why they do it, why they've stayed there. And and then it was a two-way street in this case because the people that Mike spoke to in these informational discussions or kind of an informal interview almost, they asked questions about what he wanted to do and were willing to make connections for him. I think that's great, and I hope that if you have any kind of informational with someone, whether you call it that or not, to talk about where you work and what you do, that you might be willing to make a connection if you see some talent in that person and something that might be a right fit inside your company. Mike also shared his plans for the sabbatical. He talked about the financial planning that he and his wife had to do. It was very important to them that they didn't have to get into desperation mode with their lifestyle. So his original plan was to take the first month and not do anything. Start the job search in month two and only take three months. In this case, it took six. But he didn't run into a financial crisis. His wife was working, was able to pay the bills, and they were fortunate enough to have a savings that they used to pay the bills during that time as well. Did you hear the part where Mike shared the knowing what he wanted came from his experience in previous jobs? That's something that applies to everybody. Have you ever thought back to why you left a job, why you didn't like a specific job in a company, but a specific job in that same company or elsewhere was better? What does that say about the things you want and need in a role, whatever it is, with any company? If you don't take time to do that reflection, it's hard to know what you should be targeting. I like the idea of Brian Prince's recommitment day, taking a day around the end of the year to really think about, is this the right place for me? Am I getting what I want, what I need? Is it still interesting? Does it make me happy? 
do I need to adjust? And deciding, okay, I'm I'm in it for another year. Maybe not everybody takes that approach, but I really love the thought process behind it. Mike also mentions how he had to address the resume gap with interviewers. That's an interesting one. So if you do have a gap in your resume, what is the best way to speak to potential hiring managers about that? And Because you're going to have to probably give some reasons for it. They, they may dig into it. Are you prepared to answer those questions? And lastly, note that Mike had some goals in advance for this time off. Some specific things he wanted to get out of it. He didn't just jump in blindly, treat it like a vacation, none of that. It was very planned and calculated. Maybe you can't take six months off. Maybe you can't take a month off. Maybe you can't take two weeks off. But maybe you could take one day and really think about the things you like, the things you don't like, the things you liked and didn't like about previous jobs. And that should paint some kind of picture about what you value in an organization, a boss, the specific aspects of a job, and hopefully will give you some inkling of what you should be looking at for that next move in your career. Remember, you don't have to wait for it to come to you. You can be on the lookout for it. That is something that we can all control. So I hope this episode series was helpful to you. I really enjoyed hearing from Mike and hope we can have him back again to talk about some of the other aspects of his career. Just a reminder, we want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter at Nerd Journey. Farewell, listeners. Tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm Nick Cordy at Network Nerd underscore, flying solo for now from our buddy John White at The Journeyman, signing off.